I'm here today with my good friend, Lily King, who like me also struggles with an autoimmune disease and a chronic illness. Today, we're going to talk about the complex interrelations between autoimmunity, trauma, mental health concerns, and so much more. There's a lot of nuance in these conversations. A lot of the clients that I wind up seeing are folks who, like me, have intersections within this realm. Now, mind you, Lily and I are not doctors. We are coming to this conversation from our own lived experience, talking about what works, what doesn't work, how we've navigated the medical industrial complex in ways that have made it a little bit easier for the two of us. We get into topics like what autoimmunity looks like as a kid, how it can often get invalidated, how to find a doctor that really understands your priorities, and how to take charge of your holistic health needs. Hi, I'm Jasmine Russell, and this is Depth Work, a holistic mental health podcast. This is a space for those who love to dive into the underbelly, to revel in the mystery, question assumptions about what's normal, play in the both and, and honor the wide range of human emotion. As a complex trauma survivor, holistic counselor, and co-founder of a mental health training institute, I've learned that there is immense wisdom in our pain, and that what we call crazy is just what we are not yet willing to understand and explore. I'm so glad that you're here, so let's dive in. Lily, tell me, tell us a little bit about your history with any chronic health conditions, um, and just a little bit of what your journey has been like and a bit about you. Yeah, definitely. So I honestly, it's going to be a big thing to get into. My health history (laughs) goes way back. Um, I'll kind of give you the brief intro and then maybe get more into like the last five years. But yeah, I'm Lily. I live in Berkeley, California. I'm currently going through the process of really transitioning my work to be mostly remote um, so that I can really accommodate for my chronic illness. Uh, so I'm really grateful for people like Jasmine in my life who knows what it's like and also have been such a great advocate for helping people get resources and things. Um, I guess I'll just start off with like, in many ways, I think I was kind of born sick. Um, I was born early. I was in an incubator. (laughs) I believe that's what they're called for a while. Um, And one of my earliest memories was being like four years old at my birthday party, having eaten something and just kind of looking at my stomach and being like, this just hurts. And somebody saying you should eat more and being like, no, I'm good. (laughs) That was one of my earliest memories and kind of a lot of my childhood. I just remember having a lot of uh, pain and discomfort. Um, And recently my brother actually transferred all of our old family um, home videos. So they're all on YouTube now. And I was watching them. And as a little kid, I would just sit in splits and things. And I was like super hypermobile and all this. And I didn't connect two and two together um, until like the last two years and was finally diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder that can affect pretty much all areas of your body. It's really something that's overrepresented in women. Um, So unfortunately, what goes with that is that it is pretty under-researched. Um, a lot of women's chronic health conditions are usually attributed still to like emotional um, issues or hormonal issues that are also not understood that well. Um, so in the last two years, it's really just been a lot of advocating for physical therapy support, for um, alternative support, and for just being okay with talking about my body and all of its complexities and not 
you know, shying away from when a doctor says like, oh, that's just too much for one person to experience. Um, cause that's definitely something you'll hear. Yes. So I was just tired all the time. Um, I would go through bouts of, um, having really bad back pain. Um, I unfortunately did yoga for years and years, which kind of like helped me stay strong, but also was exacerbating a lot of uh, my issues. Um, and I felt uh, a constant sort of malaise and was like intolerant to like most foods um, and had a lot of uh, digestive issues. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I found it super interesting that you mentioned that, that first memory, because for me, it's something similar. One of my earliest memories was being at the spaghetti factory with my like whole family, like a table of like 15 people. And I remember like getting full so fast and just having this pain that was always there. So I didn't really think that much of it. I just like thought that that's what happened. Like you're just in kind of excruciating pain after you eat. That's what being human is. And I got full really fast and I didn't want to eat very much or eat anymore. And I remember someone saying, you need to go around the entire table because you didn't eat very much and you need to take a bite for every single member of the family. And they made me do that. And after like three or four times, oh my God, the pain got so bad. I thought that I was going to die. And, you know, later on now, I know that I have celiac disease and a lot of the other things that go along with it. But it's just really interesting, like, you know, a note to to listen to your kids when they're in pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of the sort of, you know, parents want you to be okay and they want to just kind of like <laughs> push it aside a little bit. And um, I think a huge part of like the growth into being comfortable with all this was having these conversations with my parents and being like, remember that time? Like, let's just, let's just air that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's been, <laughs> it's been difficult to have those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's this kind of strange societal understanding or, or belief set that that kids get, you know, like kids just, they get sick all the time or they, you know, they have a lot of colds or they are tired all the time or they just, you know, don't eat very much or, you know, they're always finding aches and pains. And so I think that's part of why a lot of people don't figure this stuff out until much, much later for for myself, part of my health journey, I, my main symptom was, you know, not, um, like not eating very much or feeling really, really, uh, full and sick and ill after eating anything. I guess you could label that as IBS, but also similar to you. I feel like I was perhaps quote unquote, you know, born sick or that a lot of things happened perhaps in utero or, you know, maybe it was also somewhat, um, genetic or even kind of ancestrally passed down to. And I was born with like a very colicky baby. Um, and then throughout my life, also kind of this dual history of childhood trauma as well. So I didn't find out that I had celiac disease until I got to this total breaking point of actually a mental emotional crisis. That's one of the things I feel like we don't really talk about with chronic illnesses either is that especially when it comes to autoimmune diseases or even other illnesses that are related to autoimmune diseases um, that there's a huge component of it that is mental 
I remember being chronically lethargic and somewhat depressed as a kid all the time. And that one obviously was something that completely got slipped under the rug. You've mentioned that some of what you experience is also autoimmune related as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So there's aspects of like Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune like thyroid condition. Yeah, I also was like also going back into all the other things. There's many different components, but um, I also had aplastic anemia as a child. um, And they think a lot of that. So like, you know, we get a stressful experience and then sort of creates a back loop um, in our brain that we're constantly sort of in that fight or flight mode, you know, um, like you were mentioning with the trauma response. Um, And so overactive amounts of cortisol, especially at a young age, they're saying, um, leads to then that sort of um, immune response. So um, they still haven't confirmed that, but basically I potentially through some like intense childhood stuff and then moving into this kind of toxic house um, that my immune system was just completely bombarded. Um, and I think there's a lot coming out now that's pretty hopeful in terms of environmental stressors that kids are exposed to and how later on that can really cause, um, autoimmune stuff. But I wanted to touch on another thing, which was that like this idea of growing pains we go through as kids and, you know, we hear a lot of, oh, that's just, these are growing pains, these are that. Um, and I think it's really helpful to kind of look at pain, change the pain scale in terms of like not a level of like how much pain do you feel, but like how much are you able to function with that pain? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was another symptom that I had as a kid was I was really big into dancing. I would dance all the time. Um, But sometimes when I would get home, I would be unable to walk like into my own home from the car because of all the inflammation and the swelling of my joints and which again, had no idea was another symptom of an autoimmune disease, celiac. And that, you know, yeah, that was just completely kind of brushed over as, um, as yeah, growing pains or, you know, just kind of a normal, normal part of growing up. There's nothing normal about not being able to walk into your own house. Yeah. What do you feel like you've learned the most in your journey? Yeah, I think, um, more to what I was talking about before in terms of women's health conditions not being as um, understood. Something for us to examine as a as a culture, as a society, all of that is that we created these thresholds for health. Um, these numbers for like, you know, our, our blood levels are this or that um, for doctors to go by. And that is pretty antiquated in terms of who were these people? Where was this baseline coming from? Were these even healthy people? <laughs> Um, and so looking into people like Chris Kresser and institutes that are really looking for like optimal levels, it's like if you have blood work that comes back and you fall within the normal range, um, I always go and check with the like Chris Kresser Institute of like, okay, what is the normal range? But then what is the optimal range? Just knowing how to read blood work, I think is really helpful. Um, especially when you're, when you're talking with your doctors and it can be, I mean, it's, definitely a big thing to undertake, but I've learned a lot, um, from understanding optimal ranges better. Yeah. Yeah. You've taught me a lot about that in particular, because I mean, a lot of times they won't even do doctors, mainstream doctors won't even do the blood work. That's really necessary to understand all the different components and things that are going on with you. But even if they are willing to do it, they really will kind of just like look at your chart. And very often I've gotten like, 
oh, you're fine. You know, this thing might be a little bit off, but like really you're fine. (laughs) And then I'll take it to another doctor and they'll say, actually, that's a huge problem considering, you know, your whole health history or background. So I think that's crucial. I feel like, you know, what, what is normal for one person might not be even functional at all for another person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, um, I mean, I could go on a, a tangent about all the different resources in terms of at-home blood tests that you can get now. They're really great. Some doctors will say to you like, no, that's that's not effective. It has to be a full vial. Um, but again, that's kind of potentially becoming a thing of the past as um, technology advances with blood work. So you mentioned one of the most important aspects is talking to a doctor and finding a good one and really knowing how to communicate with them. So tell me what you learned about that. Yeah. You know, in an, it's like in an ideal world, you'd just be able to go up to your doctor, obviously, and say, these are the whole recipe list of what I'm feeling. And this is a lot. And these are all the ingredients and it's crazy. And I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, ideally the doctor, because they, this is their job, they would say, okay, I'm going to listen to all that. But in the current system that we have, at least in America, you get about 10 minutes um, to speak with your doctor. And more often than not, at least this is what I've experienced. Um, I go in and I say, you know, my ankle hurts. I'm having hip pain. I can't walk up elevations. I have neck pain. I have migraines. I feel I'm allergic to all these foods. And it's like this whole grocery list that they're just like, absolutely not. This can't be, you can't be possibly be experiencing all these things at once. Um, How about some antidepressants? And that is more often than not um, the response. So um, it's knowing how, unfortunately, to cherry pick, especially when you're talking with just like your regular PCP or GP to say, what is the highest level priority for me right now um, that I think, you know, because um, I know my body well that I think might be what's going on. And um, for me, it's often making sure that my digestive care um, is going well. Um, and so in terms of what a GP can help with, it's like, okay, they could potentially, let's say if I'm going through like a particularly bad flare um, with my GI, it's like, oh, I could be on a, a steroid for a little bit. And so they can kind of understand if I just give them one symptom and I know what's going on. Um, and they're basically just a walking, talking, like, prescription pad. (laughs) And like, that's okay sometimes too. But in terms of building like a long-term GP who you trust, um, this sort of like script that I go off of is I'll walk in and I'll say, Hey, I'm just gonna let you know, like, this is a lot that I'm going through. Um, to be totally honest, I feel pretty good about where my mental state is. I really know to myself that this is not just related to, you know, stress in my life. I know that there's a deeper, you know, root cause going on. And I say, you kind of have to, you definitely have to inflate their ego a little bit to start off with and say like, listen, I really want to know what you think. And um, if you've experienced this with like other patients who have so-and-so condition and you kind of put the onus on them and all that. Um, and then I also, I, I like to, as much as possible, make sure that I bring somebody in with me. Um, I know that's not as um uh, doable right now with COVID and things. Um, but if you're able to bring it, bring a medical witness, um, that's kind of the phrase you can use. Don't just say like a friend, but you can say, Hey, I have this medical witness with me who helps me, um, remember the things that I want to ask about everything. At least for me, I also know that it's really important that I have a female doctor, um, just cause they tend to be a little bit more understanding. I've generally had pretty, pretty negative experiences. Um, 
Uh, that's not to say that all male doctors are not listening, but um, yeah, I found that there's a lot, a lot more just sort of like also shared knowledge that goes along, you know, with like cycles and all that, um, that can be really valuable. What about yeah. for you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you brought that up about doctors being <laughs> walking and talking prescription pad and inflating their egos. Cause that's definitely been what I've found as well. It's just been in the last maybe year and a half that I've actually found a style of doctor, a type of doctor that is actually what you initially described where you can say, these are all my symptoms. This is literally my entire life history. Can you help me figure out how all these things are related? But before this last year, yeah, it's just been, you know, zooming back to when I was a kid, it was just like, okay, I'm having trouble, you know, walking after dance class, joint pain, inflammation. I go to a podiatrist and they say, oh, you have flat feet here. Like, you know, do this thing. I get strep throat seven, eight times in a row. Instead of taking a look at, you know, my immune system at large, they just treat the strep and then, you know, whatever, say they maybe have to take my tonsils out. Um, I struggled with ulcers in college that was like totally debilitating. And all they did was give me, you know, the, the typical standard endoscopy and medication for that and said that it was all going to be fine and go away. Obviously it was not. And then it took me having a total mental break in 2015, hallucinating, having delusions, you know, just at like a complete mental break, um, which obviously had many, many, many other factors involved. But that was the moment that I really actually figured out that I had celiac disease due to a friend <laughs> giving me that, you know, kind of tip off of like, Hey, it, based on everything you're telling me, it sounds like you might have this allergy to gluten. And I'm like, what? I eat top ramen all the time and I feel fine. <laughs> you know? So finally got diagnosed with celiac disease, um, which is so much more than a gluten allergy. And I feel like that's something that not even the doctor who diagnosed me was able to really tell me that his you know, assessment was, well, you have this allergy. If you go gluten-free, then you'll be fine. And for most people, that is absolutely not the case. So not only was no one through my entire life ever willing to kind of put these things together and figure out how they all weave together, but they also basically said, you know, if you do this thing, you'll be fine. And that really wasn't true. Um, so now, you know, after being gluten-free for many years and yes, my, my quality of life, my mental health, everything definitely went up and up and up. However, I'm, you know, still left with symptoms like really severe stomach pain after I eat, bloating, um, like really extreme bloating all the time. Finally got also additionally a diagnosis of Lyme disease, SIBO and gut dysbiosis, which are all kind of um, I don't want to say standard, but they, they all very much kind of like work together to <laughs> give this, you know, this, what I have, what I live with. I've learned that for me, a PCP is literally just your access gate. Like they, they are mm -hmm. only um, the gatekeeper to what you need. And there's a couple of like very, very quick tips that I usually give people. One is if you have really done your research and obviously know your body well enough that you kind of have a, have a hint of what might be happening with you or the test that you need or the kind of treatment that you need, you just tell your PCP that another doctor has informed you that you need this thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of changing insurances and going to different doctors. To, and I always use the excuse of like, back when I was on the East Coast or back when I lived in, I was on the yep. East Coast, back when I lived in California or like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's not to say, I feel like uh, I don't want to open this up to just Western medicine bashing because there's definitely some benefits yeah. of like, um, they've done a great job of keeping us alive and like all this like incredible work and stuff. But yeah. anyway, just want to put yeah. that out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sometimes they've done a good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll, I'll usually do that. I will also, I've also learned to kind of, like you said, pick one or two major symptoms because if you give them the whole thing, they, I mean, I've literally had PCPs just say like, you know, well, I'm only going to refer you to two specialists and when really you probably need like six. So choose the the two that you want to see, which is um, ridiculous. But also the process of going to specialist to specialist to specialist is like a whole spin cycle in and of itself. It's also important to be really clear about what you have already tried or have already done. I can't tell you how many times my PCP has said, you know, well, I I found out that that the FODMAP diet was actually really good. And all I had to do was stop eating stone fruits and I felt fine. Have you tried that? <laughs> or, or again, you know, just like a prescription for, for a PPI, which can actually sometimes make things worse for people right. with IBS. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so I've learned to be very clear of like, look, I've tried these 17 different diets for my medical conditions. These are all the things that I've done. These are the things that I'm willing to do. Here's like the wall that I'm hitting up against. If you are at a doctor's visit and this might happen where you get like a whole group of um, med students that are coming in too. I know that can kind of be overwhelming. I've been in this position a couple of times, but the med students also often have the most up to date, like that, that is all fresh in their mind. Um, and kind of ask them, like, I've literally been like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, what are sort of like the new alternative things that are coming out? And I even had one med student mention like, yeah, I know you know, rheumatoid and leaky gut are, you know, there, there's more research coming out that is connecting them and issues with like dental care can also be indicators for, um, rheumatoid conditions. And I was like, cool, like, great. Um, and the doctor sort of looked at the med student, like, don't think you were supposed to say that, but like, <laughs> just really appreciated that in the moment of kind of having that camaraderie and hearing that, um, validation. Yeah. And also like, I think another thing is to not be fearful of like, um, you know, you can always file grievance forms and um, call in. And again, that's a whole other issue of access of like, who has time for that? I'm currently unemployed. So I have time to just like be on the phone and be angry at people. Uh, but yeah, I just like my heart goes out to people who, you know, they have kids, they have people to look after and also themselves. And like, this already feels like a full-time job for me. Um, it is. It absolutely is. is. Yeah. And going back to another piece of advice or a resource that I've actually used before. I'll also link it down below. I forget the name of it, but it's an advocacy organization specifically working with people to be a medical advocate for lowering any medical bills or hospital bills. There was a time I was on my father's insurance when I was younger and it was through TRICARE through the military. Supposedly, you know, supposed to be one of the good uh, insurances, but it was was not. And I thought that I was enrolled and covered. I had to re-enroll every single year. 
And I had a bunch of medical, you know, things done. And I had been repeatedly calling the insurance company asking, you know, why is it not being covered? Can this go through? You know, whatever. They failed to tell me for six months that I actually was not enrolled in the insurance program for that whole year, which meant that I was uninsured unknowingly for six months. And my hospital bills were like, thank God, only about like $5,000, but I was not making, like I had recently been unemployed because of medical issues and $5,000 was not something I could afford at that time. So I worked with this uh, nonprofit, this advocate who called doctors with me and knew all of the right terminology, all the right things to say, to ask for, to get those hospital bills reduced to about a thousand dollars. And I had no idea that these programs, these forms, these, you know, operators actually existed, that that was something that I could do. I thought that I was just going to be stuck with these bills for, you know, years, but that was an amazing service and something that people should definitely know exists. Yeah. I don't know how common this is, but I know on certain hospital websites out here, if you look in their menu options, they'll say like for, you know, low-income people and they'll say like the program that they have. And oftentimes you do have to just mention that before you get the care. Um, And then after the fact, you would put in like your income, current income, last year's income. um, And you don't have to show proof. Um, Sometimes, again, this might be like a California thing. I'm not totally sure. So don't quote me on this, but (laughs) yeah. And again, it's usually in the fine print. It's not (laughs) (laughs) This last year, I actually got introduced to functional medicine, which has been around for a while. You know, you you have to be an MD in order to get trained in functional medicine. So it's not necessarily some like super, you know, off the off the other side of things. They're very tangential to Western medicine. However, the biggest difference, I think, is that they want to know your entire health history, like everything from pre-birth, you know, your mom's health history, all the way, like to every single detail. It's been the most comprehensive intake that took me like literally hours to do. And they actually read it and they actually want to know. And they do testing that other, you know, more traditional doctors are not necessarily willing to do. They want to know the minutia, like literally the tests that I've had to do. They look at every single kind of bacteria that's in my gut. I have never had a doctor want to see those things. And it's amazing the kinds of things that you can tell from that. So through um, functional medicine, I was able to get other, you know, really helpful clarifying diagnoses like SIBO and the type of gut dysbiosis that I have, which leads to some really great treatments. And it was by far the best medical experience I've ever had. However, functional medicine doctors are not able in our system to take insurance. So I've had to pay almost entirely out of pocket. Sometimes you can get the tests um, covered by your doctor, but most or by your insurance, but most of the time not. So that's been the biggest frustration for me. However, it has been helpful having my PCP and my functional medicine doctor because then I'll say, hey PCP, this other doctor has told me I need this test. Can you, you know, write me a, a referral for this test mm-hmm. and then I can yeah. I can have it covered. Um, but the other frustration is just that they often all these doctors often won't talk to each other. They often, you know, won't get on the same page about things. They, they often have radically different information that you have to sort through, you know, 
Um, one doctor says, hey, since you have Lyme disease, you should probably get tested for all these co-infections. That's really important to know. And my PCP says, well, if you had co-infection, you would probably know by now. And really those tests don't actually mean anything or do anything. So, so it's a huge frustration yeah. to navigate between the two. But I would say if you can afford or somehow kind of manage to see someone who at least has a functional medicine type of framework of things, mm -hmm. that's been one of the yeah. most helpful things for me. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes you can go on their website and see the tests that they order. Um, and then there's a website called like Direct Labs. And then you can go ahead and independently order those labs for yourself. Um, and then that can get covered through Quest. And then, and again, it's like you have to jump through hoop after hoop. And I wish there was a way to, yeah, get somebody, you know, to help just with that, that process. That's the last thing you want to do when you're feeling sick is be driving all over and a bunch of different doctors visits but yeah functional medicine is yeah it can be really tricky but luckily as i said the internet is a godsend yeah for, for this kind of stuff yeah. also you mentioned um you know doctors kind of trying to push uh prescription or like depression medication on you antidepressants yeah. um things like that and i really wanted to touch on that for a moment because mm -hmm. that has absolutely been the case for me as well um when i was taking birth control for many years throughout you know high school and college birth control made me so severely depressed and like close to experiencing suicidality that immediately stopped the minute that I went off of that like high dose of birth control that doctors just wanted to send me to, you know, the psychiatrist, oh, you're depressed or whatever. Or mm -hmm. if I ever revealed, because ulcers are kind of a signal to doctors saying like, okay, you're probably under stress. Maybe you've experienced trauma because ulcers are very often linked to trauma. And as soon as I would reveal my trauma history, everything else that I said at that doctor's visit was completely ignored. Everything was, well, that's probably, you know, the trauma talking, you probably have, you need a, a, an emotional health specialist. So we'll, we'll, you know, send you to the psychiatrist, which I mean, completely also bypasses the point that the psychiatrist is not going to help you with your emotions either. They're just going to give yeah. you, you know, a 15 minute consult and then a prescription for an antidepressant. But yeah. tell me a bit about what your experience has been like with that kind of revolving yeah. door of mental health. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, um, in full transparency, like I think for me dealing with um, chronic pain that is uh, localized to pretty much, not, not just localized, it's all over, <laughs> um, to all of my joints. I have, I do take like a very low dose of an SSRI. Um, which has been helping in leaps and bounds and things. Um, the thing that I started to shy away from was when it was a mixture of things. Um, and, you know, I was, I was concerned that a lot of these sort of cocktails of different um, psychiatric drugs have not always been studied together. Um, and I kind of made a rule for myself of like, you know, I do take other prescriptions for chronic pain. And I was like, I'll, I won't, for, for my comfort level, I don't feel good about mixing um, yeah, different things. And especially because I, you know, I am taking supplements to make sure that I'm getting proper nutrition and stuff. And you just don't know um, what, what the interactions can be like. Um, but for, for chronic pain, just like kind of finding that threshold dose of like low enough that I feel like my, my pain is 
is subsided, but that I don't feel like I've completely numbed out to it. Um, that's where I felt comfortable. Um, when I started to take more, I do start to feel kind of like I have always kind of been somebody who feels things really deeply. And I, I think that's, um, something that through this process of getting diagnosed and also dealing with my illnesses that I've come to like respect in myself of like, you know, really knowing that that's like a powerful, <laughs> powerful thing of being able to experience just so many things throughout the day. Um, and that I think we're just told, um, in our, in our culture that having too many emotions in one day is also a problem. Yeah, absolutely. There, in a lot of the research that I've been doing on this intersection between, you know, chronic pain, chronic illness and mental health, there's, I feel like the public perception around it is that like, well, if you experience chronic pain and chronic illness, of course you'll be depressed or of course you'll be anxious or of course you'll you know feel those things, which obviously there's some level of truth to that, right? Having no energy throughout the day, yes, you are going to feel depressed. Um, you know, having to cycle through systems that were not created for you and that re-traumatize you and create a lot more harm, having to navigate the medical industrial complex. Yeah, that's going you know, to make you depressed. But there's this new emerging research, which I wonder if it's been part of your experience with taking SSRIs. There's some doctors that believe that part of the reason why SSRIs might actually work um, somewhat for chronic pain or inflammation as well is because they can act as an anti-inflammatory. And there's um, a doctor that I really love. He's the head of psychiatry at Cambridge. Um, I forget his name, but I'll write it in the comments. He has studied inflammation and depression or inflammation and mental health diagnoses in particular and have, have really found that there's a huge correlation between people that experience chronic pain, autoimmunity, any type of immune issue, which a lot of things that are chronic illness um, aren't handled well by Western medicine because they are directly related to the immune system. And we have a pretty overly simplified or reduced understanding of how vast the immune system is. It really has been only in the last like 10-ish years or so that we discovered that, um, you know, things can cross the, the blood-brain barrier. It was previously not acknowledged or not thought that that was possible. So it is possible to have inflammation in your brain and for that to be causing, you know, a whole number of mental health concerns. I have clients that I see all the time and I'm, I'm seeing more and more of them who are diagnosed with some type of autoimmune disease or chronic health concern. And due to that, also experience things like even as severe as psychosis or hallucinations or um, severe depression or anxiety or OCD or you know so many different things. So I'm hoping that our understanding of this intersection really gets a lot more nuanced that we don't just start to think like, well, because you have a chronic illness, of course you're depressed or, you know, your depression is making you sick, but actually that we understand the many different pathways through which that happens, including the biological pathways that are not, um, you know, your serotonin is low or <laughs> things like that. And also the very real societal barriers that will make you freaking depressed as heck. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, um, it's like, it's the, the pathways that we've created, um, it's sort of, I think before it was understood that, you know, you get reach a certain age and that's kind of, there you go. That's your brain. <laughs> I mean, it, neuroplasticity is, is a thing. <laughs> it's easier when you're younger, it's a little bit harder when you're older. Um, but it's still there. Um, 
and you can still change those those pathways and those patterns um i think has been encouraging to me i know that you've been thinking about community help mutual aid how people can support each other what would you say um has been either your biggest lesson or the thing that you would really want people to know about how we can support each other recently just getting a lot more comfortable with talking about it at work has been really valuable and in terms of the mutual aid i have let people know in advance of you know if i have like a surgery coming up or something and i'll say here's a list of things i might need help with um would you be open to any of these um three things um so that's when i know in advance that something's going to happen um is reaching out to my support systems but i think the hardest thing is that and we've touched on this before is like when you are in the midst of a health crisis and you just feel like i can't go on like i can't believe that this is going to be my life i feel really trapped it's really hard to think of the things that you need um you can think of the life that you want to have and you can think like sort of long term, but for whatever reason, and again, this is also just my experience, it's really hard to think short term. It's just yeah. like, absolutely not. I, yeah, this is, I just don't want to be here right now. So I can't have that, um, you know, upper, a higher, higher thinking of what, what would be supportive. Um, so I think just as like a community of whoever's, you know, a support system, a friend, a loved one to somebody who's chronically ill is knowing like, okay, when she is feeling well, she likes these things When she's not feeling well, you know, or they like these things. Um, and knowing that like, you can kind of imagine yourself as like a child when you were sick of like, what did your mom do? <laughs> what did your family do? What were, what were the support systems that you had as a kid? Because when it comes down to it, it's like, I think a lot of times that's kind of what a chronically ill person might feel like, um, is that like, just kind of in that like inner child sort of moment of like, I just want just want to feel like really nurtured right now. Yeah, that idea of planning in advance. I haven't done this as much with physical health concerns, but I used to give lectures and workshops a lot on psychiatric advance directives. When you can, you know, creating an advance directive or a community directive, sending it to the people in your support team that specifically says, you know, everything from like, this is the kind of, you know, hospital or doctor I would want to see to these are the kinds of supplements that make me feel better to, you know, this is how you might be able to tell that I'm not feeling well or that I'm about to kind of spiral or that I'm, you know, I need some help. And then these are the specific kinds of ways that I like to receive some help. It takes a lot of work and effort and forethought and it's not necessarily something that you can do in the middle of a crisis um but if you have a little bit of space and a, a time where you know, things are kind of alleviated for a moment having a, an advanced directive like that i've found is helpful um but yeah i feel like a lot of people don't know how to respond when someone's really in need or or having a chronic um concern you know we maybe know how to show up for for an acute crisis if someone's like in the emergency room or something like that but we often don't know how to how to talk to people that are really kind of chronically ill but i like what you said about nurturing i mean it's it's really the basics it's like cook me food bring me food um you know take something off my plate um something that i had to do that or have to do that maybe I don't have to do if you can take it off my plate um, or just, you know, a hug, yeah. <laughs> some kind words. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I like when it comes to people always ask, they're like, okay, well, what's your love language? And I'm like, 
just like cherry pick just all of them at one point just like you know it's a little bit of each are really nice yeah I also find I wonder what your take is on this but I also find being around people that can kind of help carry that balance between hope and joy and validation which is Mm -hmm. also sometimes why I struggle with I haven't quite landed with how to talk about what I experience in all of its kind of you know nuances because I'm not so in love with the term chronic illness because it kind of implies this like you are gonna be sick for the rest of your life and for some people that is true like you know like I believe in miracles I believe in healing I believe in radical transformation and also like some people do have degenerative diseases um, that they can manage and support and you know do things to live a really long life um in my case, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm kind of somewhere in this place of like, I don't know if I will live with this forever. I hope that I won't. Um, I'm willing and ready to try so many different things and to heal on so many different levels. And I believe that they all kind of have to happen at once. Like we, we have to do the spiritual and emotional work alongside all of the, you know, physical and biological help and work as well. Um, but yeah, I have a complex relationship with that terminology in particular, which is why I find it helpful to be around people that can kind of carry that balance of not necessarily look at me like I'm someone that is, you know, just like unexplicably, inexplicably, you know, sick or ill, but also mm-hmm. someone that can really validate and not just kind of spiritually bypass what, <laughs> what I might be experiencing just having that sense of faith and stuff and that it's it's episodic and it's changing and it's yeah for myself I've found um and I've, I've heard this with other people I've spoken with it's like when you're feeling your worst it's also not the time that you want to start researching things and looking at all the things online because that can just lead to a little bit of a spiral you'll find I mean I mean Dr. Google or whatever Dr. Those things are just going to tell you that it's the worst case scenario. <laughs> and again, speaking from the eye place of like this obsession that I got into a little bit of being like, I can figure this out for myself. Like I can do this. And I think that's just a very like Western mindset too. Mm-hmm. Um, also very like East coast mindset. <laughs> I kind of just had to, for a while, put my faith into like, I don't know if this is the ultimate doctor. Like I, I found a sort of um, alternative doctor out here and um at least putting faith in a protocol and giving it enough time to really try it out. There's no, there's not going to be like a, a quick fix or anything. It's hard to just be like, I want this like ultimate op- optimal health. And I want to feel like I did before because, you know, I used to follow this incredible diet and do all of these things. And um, ultimately, at least for me, that's not something that's as attainable, but it's like this newer version of health, this new person of the new person that I'm getting to know, you know, <laughs> myself. And that's okay. Oh, that's a really good point. Just in terms of like, there isn't one person, one doctor, one healer, anything that's going to just, you know, pluck you up and save you and like, you know, put you, put you into your highest state of health. That's that's not how that works ever. I mean, even I'm thinking, you know, in in mental health as well, in, in any kind of healing, when we get to states of desperation, of course we want that. Of course we want that one answer, that one person, that one thing that's going to make everything better. Um, but I've really found, and what I try to work with my clients on the most is having this really 
rounded understanding of not just why this is happening to you or what the many, many, many factors are that's going on in your body and mind and everything, um, but also having a just as well-rounded support team. Um, that's also, you know, again, we live in this very hyper-individualistic culture and we don't necessarily have access to as many types of doctors or people as we may want. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think that's that's where we need to start heading. We need to start giving people access to multiple yeah. practitioners that are not just like a specialist for your pinky toe and a specialist for like your left ear. But you know, <laughs> um, I found for myself that having a whole team, like having an energy healer, having an osteopathic doctor, having a functional medicine doctor, having my PCP, like at least those four at once yeah. is necessary yeah. for me to feel okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny, like, I, I, I don't know if this is the case, but this is my intuition and Hunterana is like, I didn't know that I get acupuncture and chiropractor covered through my Kaiser, but just like, wasn't, that's not advertised for, I think a very specific reason. Um, and, um, cause it's not covered by, you know, medical industrial complex, blah, blah, blah. Um, but ask about that, like check the fine print in your insurance policy, because I think a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of insurances are kind of going that route, at least um, in some instances. And again, it does create a different loop hoop to go through, but um, yeah, can be really helpful. That just reminded me that I just saw um, in the news that doctors in Canada can now prescribe access to their national parks to people with different kinds of Aww. chronic illness who need some time in nature like that yeah. is yeah. huge that's, that's so huge good. we yeah. should keep thinking about like what can we give people access to that would make a huge mm-hmm. difference in their lives and doesn't even necessarily have to cost us or you know or the system mm-hmm. any money because god knows yeah. the system is so concerned about you know fucking getting as much money as they can but there's so many different kinds of you know preventative medicine or therapeutic mm-hmm. things that Absolutely. don't necessarily cost anything at all yeah i mean preventative care is it's tricky because like you're not seeing oftentimes like that immediate result um but I think if you do it with somebody and you have like, <clears throat> excuse me, some like accountability with someone um, to do the physical therapy, to get outside into nature and stuff. So you feel like at least it's, at least it's a shared experience. That's been really helpful for me. Yeah. Well, these were some really helpful tips and resources. This is why I like talking to people that experience these things directly. We've been through it. We know <laughs> we've learned the hard way and in a lot of ways to get to some of these resources and this access. So thank you for sharing so much of your story and your wisdom. Despite where we've been, I have faith that where we're going is a good place. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation and found it informative. Lily is currently in the process of getting a service dog, which if you have ever thought about getting a service dog or looked into it, it is so incredibly expensive, but so important. So if you want to donate to her cause, the link to her Venmo is in the description below, as well as any links of research and websites that we talked about in this episode. And if you are listening to this in real time coming up on December 4th, the Institute for the Development of Human Arts has a fundraiser and celebration with Dr. Gabar 
Mate and Dr. Jennifer Mullen of Decolonizing Therapy. We're having a panel, a film screening, and so many fun online virtual events that whole day. So the link to get tickets to that is also in the description. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.